0: Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Romans
1: chapter 12. Verses 3 through 8. Pray with me. O Lord God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as the scriptures are to be read and that as your word is to be proclaimed, that we may hear it with joy. Speak to us, we pray, by your Spirit today. In Jesus' name, Amen. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ." The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So let's look at this passage today. I want you to think with me about the perspective of the church in this modern world in which we live. Modern evangelicals have seemingly accomplished a miracle, or maybe we could call it a magic trick, something foreign to Scripture, yet readily embraced, the churchless Christian, maybe you've heard of this person before, the churchless Christian, emphasizing our desires over God's design Emphasizing our pleasure over pleasing Him, we have relegated the cherished assembly of the Beloved to the consumer's option. Now, this is not to say, to be clear, this is not to say that God is forgotten. But with the reign of easy believism, the individual is all-important, and the authority of the self stands sovereign. In his commentary on Romans, James Boyce, I might add writing back in 1995, observes quote, it strikes me that today the problem is our individualism, which I would define as hyper-personalized religion. It is the religion of Jesus and me only. Now, Boyce in his commentary goes on to label this phenomenon as a form of narcissism, which I had not thought of before, but it makes sense after reading it, that this sort of individualism is is a type of narcissism. And Boyce goes on to warn, you cannot have one body in Christ if everyone is creating a private little a la carte religion for himself. But, if you think about it, a churchless Christianity does have its benefits. I mean, for one, it opens up another day of the week for play. Eliminating the inconvenient drudgery of Sunday worship. (laughs) And since Christianity becomes defined as nothing more than moral choice, I mean, really, why bore yourself? I mean, even so-called contemporary worship feels out of date by decades, like that bad 90s cover band. Look, contemporary worship is just a paltry substitute for some real entertainment. And then there are people, you know, church people. And the commitments that come with them. I mean, really think about this, y'all. If Who wants to be hassled with the needs of others when we have our own felt needs? Who wants to help with real needs when there's reality TV to watch? And worse, the more you really, I mean, think about it. The more you really get to know these church People, you feel compelled to serve them. For Christ's sake, you feel compelled to be served by them. I mean, this gets way, way, way out of hand, doesn't it? I mean, why not just stay away and listen to a podcast? Hmm. But then something happens. You open your Bible. And you start reading your Bible and you realize that Paul wrote this epistle to a local church in Rome. And then you realize that he wrote to the local church in Corinth. And others in Galatia and Ephesus. And as well as Philippi, Colossus, Thessalonica. And he even wrote to Timothy where Timothy was serving in the local church. Work your way. Try me on this. Work your way through the rest of the New Testament. And what you will find. Is that we, while we enjoy this collected. Organized and bound canon. Of New Testament scripture. It started out as individual letters. Sent and read. And distributed in local churches. Just like this one. And it is not an exaggeration. Please understand me. Because if I could get anything across to modern Christians. It would be this. It is not an exaggeration to say. That the local church is the subcontext context Of New Testament Christianity. A churchless Christian is so foreign to Scripture that I have to emphasize it in a sermon like this. It is virtually unknown in all of church history. And yet, in our infinite wisdom as modern evangelicals, we've created it as if it is acceptable to see the Christian life as separate from the church. For this reason, much of what we are taught in Scripture is given to us in union with one another. Yet even within the church... It is very easy, and I confess this, I admit this, it is very easy to read what we looked at last week. It's very easy to read Paul's charge to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and not to be conformed to this world and to be transformed by the renewal of your mind and think that the Christian life consists of individual spiritual disciplines that can be lived out all alone. But Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture teaches that the Christian life is never contemplated. The Christian life is never advocated to be lived in individual isolation. But it is understood to be lived in community, in the fellowship of the church. Our sacrificial worship and transformation then takes place within Not without. It takes place within the local church. And as such, it involves considering you. Which I'm not good at. And you considering me. You're okay at this. (laughs) No. It takes us considering one another in humility and service. We're to be a people of humility What we think about ourselves impacts how we live out this life with one another. What happens here in this little noggin, what I think about myself impacts how I live with you. If we consider ourselves superior to others, then I promise we will struggle to serve others. Whether it be your age or your experience, whether it be your wealth, or your status, whether it be your education, or your accomplishments, whatever the case, how you see yourself in relation to, in relation to others, will affect serving them. And as we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we are to instead think, how may I serve one another? This calls for clear-headed thinking. This calls for sober judgment, not blinded by an inflated view of self, but in humility, considering others as more important than yourself. Now, such sobriety, let me be clear, can be startling. Such sobriety can be startling among a people Obsessed with their rights and needs. But also, in considering this, in sober judgment, can wear down the most selfish among us. Or, it will send people running for the exit door. When all of a sudden you have to start sacrificing your rights for others, here's what happens. Hear me clearly. It either wears away your selfishness, or you say, I'm getting out of that church. They're violating my rights. They're taking away my freedoms. I will not bow and serve others. I'm heading for the exit door. And you know what I say? Bye-bye. It's not going to go well for you at the next church either. Because here's how it works. God's universal church is manifested how? In the local church. And guess who's going to be there? Church people. You. Me. We're going to be there. And so here's what God is teaching us. That if you find yourself offended, as if you are not getting what you deserve You have this mind among you. John, you have this mind among you. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. You see friends. It is hard to fight for your perceived rights. When you are humbly serving your brother and sister like Christ. I'd say it's impossible. In fact. Paul's appeal to us. Is rooted in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In its practical application. Its practical application within the church. He says according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Or it could also be translated as God has distributed to each of us a measure of faith. By faith God has brought all of us into the church. By faith He has given you, He has given me specific gifts to serve within the church. And it is by faith that we humbly seek out to serve the church with those gifts. And this includes, I might add, a right assessment of the specific needs within the church. And a right assessment of how God has gifted us to serve those needs by His grace. In other words, what this means is, is if all you can do is think about how the church is not serving you or how the church is violating your rights, you're not humbly and obediently serving according to the measure of faith that God has given you. In fact, thinking of yourself or others doesn't do anything according to faith. It's just a selfish obsession with you. Get over it. Get over yourself. And look to Christ. Now, you may be wondering, who has God called to serve? And how do you serve? Well, one way is by understanding that you're not the church's only hope. Look, we've already got a Savior. You're not Him, right? And I might add, I'm not Him. Don't put your pastor on an elevated pedestal. Don't put your elders on an elevated pedestal. We are servants with feet of clay. And limited in our gifting. Just like you. We are to look to the needs of the church. And we do this. We do this humbly. We do this soberly. We do this joyfully, but hear me loud and clear, we do this together in a unity as a community of faith. To explain the necessary unity within the church, Paul employs a metaphor. And you're all familiar with this metaphor, right? It's the human body. The body designed, created by God Almighty. And picturing the body with its various parts, right? Paul explains this. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So, though we are many, we are one. Though we differ in so many ways, notably in our God-given gifts, we're one. Though we serve within the church in a variety of ways, we are One, confusion then comes not in our diversity, but when our unity is threatened by comparison. When I consider my gift in comparison to yours. And we've all done this, haven't we? Using the same metaphor, Paul explained this dilemma to the Corinthians. Mike read it, a portion of this earlier. Here Paul clarifies, and I think this is so helpful, again sticking with the metaphor of the body. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so integral is this, understanding, and so integral is this to the health of the church, that Paul goes on to say, if one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We really are an interconnected body. And I might add, if you don't sense that, that means you need to plug in. You need to get involved into this community, which is the local church. Now, Imagine with me, going back to how I started this sermon, imagine the absurdity of a churchless Christian in this discussion. <laughs> I mean, it can't even enter into the discussion. It's not even fathomed, is it? What part can a body part play severed from the body? If it, it serves no one, it serves no, nothing, it is a lifeless body part without a part, without a purpose. Or how can one suffer with those who suffer? Or how can one rejoice with those who rejoice if you are not living with them in the local church? You can't suffer with someone you don't know. You can't suffer with someone you don't know what's going on. I mean, if there is any advantage to the size of our church, this local church, there's lots of advantages I might add, but one of them is... You really can get to know one another and know one another by name. John, by the way, in case you were wondering, right? You really can get to know one another, and we really can get to know one another at an intimate level. All you can do apart from the church, in this churchless Christianity, so to speak, All you can do is continue in your selfish existence playing at the Christian life, yet separated from it. And yet, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church, or actually, historians tell us, the grouping of local churches, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul clarifies this. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's repetition here is intentional, isn't it? It preaches unity. There is, in fact, one body. The church universal, or the church Catholic, as the word means, universal. And this Catholic or this universal church manifests itself in little local churches like this one. And by God's design, there should be, Paul goes on to say, no division in the body. But the members may have mutual concern for one another. Mutual concern with one another. Members of one another. But Paul adds to this unity that we also have various ways. We are... We are all brought to spiritual life by one Spirit. We all look in hope to the fulfillment of our salvation. We are a people in Christ alone. We believe in one gospel. We are eternally saved by one faith. We are identified with Christ through one and only one baptism. And all of this points to the unity of our God in three persons. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. And there is unity in the Trinity. We are to be unified in the church as a community of unity. As God is unified in Himself, so also we are to be unified as the body of Christ. Unity, however, does not negate diversity. You notice oftentimes we pit those two against one another. Unity, diversity, as if they wage war against one another. But that is just simply not the case. We can have unity as a church and also have a diversity of gifts. We are one body with many parts, members one of another, with gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us. This does not mean that some of us have gifts that are greater than others. The gifts that God have, has given me are not greater than yours. They're just different. And all of us differ accordingly. Every gift received is literally a grace gift. In fact, in the, in the Greek, the word grace, (charis) or grace gifts is one word, keros, mata. These gifts that we receive from God, all of them are these charismata. They are grace gifts that come from God. And as grace is the unmerited favor of God, so are His gifts. You didn't go to the store, you didn't go online, you didn't pick your gift out. It was chosen by God for you, just as He made you, just as He created you, and I might add, just as He redeemed you. Now think with this through with me for just a second. Consider the goodness of God in His gifts. Consider the goodness of God in His gifts. He who calls you to serve one another in the church gives you the God glorifying gifts to do just that. God never calls you to do anything that He has not already given and equipped you to do. He doesn't I mean, think about this in terms of the use of your gift. Who doesn't find satisfaction in using their gifts? Think about that. As God has gifted you, when you use those gifts, we get great delight, we get joy, we get great satisfaction in using those gifts. How great is that? I mean, some will fret, over what their gift is, taking tests and surveys, seeking some sort of revelation. Look, folks, that's a fool's errand. The best way to learn your gift is to find a need in the church and meet it. And when you do that, when you begin to find what the needs are in the church, you will then find what your gift is. And if you have not yet discovered that need, where you may serve... Dedicate yourself to praying for it. And what a great thing to pray for. God, I pray that you would help me see where I may serve in the church. Hey, my prayer is that all of us would pray that prayer daily. Can you imagine the blessing upon this local congregation if we were praying that prayer daily? God, show me. Show me where I may serve. My heart's desires to use the gifts that you have given me to serve your church. Don't wait for a program because we really don't do those here. Just be proactive. Be prayerfully proactive. For it is through serving one another that we not only discover our gifts, but we also are able to delight in what God has given us. Now, not as a list to be followed, to be clear, but just as an example, Paul gives Seven examples here. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And just to go through this very quickly, the prophet was to communicate revelations of the truth of God, not of his own accord, but in accordance with the Christian faith. The one gifted to serve the church does not just, serve, does just that very thing. He or she serves the needs of the church, perceptively. The teacher may research, the teacher may write, the teacher may rehearse, but for the sake of the church, the teacher needs to be teaching. Meanwhile, the giver must not only give, but give generously and simply and sincerely, as that word means. The leader must, not lead, must lead with diligence, most certainly, but where there is no guidance, we need to remember a people falls. So those gifted to lead need to step up and help lead the church. And the one who shows mercy, perhaps by visiting the sick, perhaps by caring for the disabled, perhaps by helping the poor, should do so gladly. For what we do for the least, we do for the Lord. Whether you see yourself in this list or not, that is not the point. The point is this, serving the body of Christ with your gifts. Seek to serve, and you'll find your gift. You will note, however, how many of the gifts in Paul's list your pastor and elders do not possess. It's striking, really, isn't it? Just how lacking we are. (laughs) That shouldn't be striking. It shouldn't strike us as odd that we who shepherd the church are lacking in so many ways. Because you know what that means, don't you? That means that your gifts are needed. It means that you are to serve. Listen to me. If you are frustrated that I am not, or other elders are not meeting your needs with our assumed arsenal of gifts, it's probably because you need to stop acting like a consumer and start living like a servant. There are no sideline seats for spectators in this church, so get in the game. Stop thinking that you came to be entertained. Because I'm not. And we're not. And you're not a consumer. You're a member of the body of Christ. For we're all servants of Christ. Christ. And we're all gifted to serve His body, glorifying Him as we serve one another. Do you remember how Paul encouraged young Timothy? He said, Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Fan the flame of that gift, young Timothy. And God has gifted you uniquely. Not for the purpose of your isolation or your independence or your individualism, but for the sake of His church his body. By God's design, you and I, we really do need one another, for we are members one of another. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you that we do not choose our gifts, but you do. And we thank you that this comes by your unmerited favor, for that way you get all the glory And so we pray in this church that you would lead us to use our gifts to serve one another that you may get all of the glory. Keep us from comparing ourselves to one another. Keep us to thinking of ourselves as if we have nothing to give. Keep us from thinking as if we have just simply come to consume or to be entertained. But oh God, help us to be a people who serve one another as your body. I pray for myself and I pray for every member of this church. Oh God, fan into flame the gifts that you have given, that you may be glorified and your church blessed. We pray this in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.